I think that sometimes suffering is so intense that it breeds a feeling of isolation and you really do feel like nobody understands what I'm going through right now. I'm all alone in this. And then suddenly when you find out, you know what, I'm not alone in this and somebody reaches out to you who can, you, you don't have to explain what you're feeling because they already know what you're feeling. The power of that is palpable for, for Christians that are going through it. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Ligon Duncan. Ligon currently serves as Chancellor and John E. Richards Professor of Systematic and Historical Theology at Reformed Theological Seminary. Before that, he was a pastor for 17 years and co-founded Together for the Gospel. He's also the author of numerous books, including When Pain is Real and God Seems Silent from Crossway. Today, Ligon and I discuss how Christians can face profound, life-changing suffering with their faith intact. He shares stories of severe suffering from his own ministry as a pastor reflects on God's role in our suffering and how he often uses it to draw us closer to himself and offers encouragement from God's word to listeners currently in the midst of a season of intense pain. Let's get started. Ligon, thank you so much for joining me on the Crossway podcast today. It's great to be with you, Matt. Thanks for having me. So I want to start our conversation today by quoting a verse from Psalm 88. Uh, which you call the most tragic psalm in all of Scripture. And in verse 3 of that psalm, the psalmist writes, My soul is full of troubles. And so I think my first question is, have you ever personally experienced a season of life when you would say that was true of you, that your, your very soul was full of troubles? Yes, Matt, I have. Uh, but I, as a pastor... I have become aware over the last 30 years that my sufferings pale in comparison to the kind of sufferings that I've had the privilege of walking with my people through. I, you know, I could, I could talk about different kinds of, of struggles at, at a family level, um, but honestly, the things that I've seen my friends and members go through are so much greater than anything that I've ever experienced. I've, I, that's where I've learned as I've watched believers that I love and know really well go through really, really hard th things that I, 40 years ago, I wouldn't have known things like that existed. And I, and God's given me the privilege of being their pastor with them through those things. And uh, I, I think I've learned more about suffering from from watching brothers and sisters than anything else. Yeah, a couple of times you now mentioned that it's a privilege to walk alongside them uh, as a pastor, as a husband, you know, as a father. Um, why do you say that? Why do you use that word privilege? Well, it it has it has struck me as I've walked a little bit in the Christian life and as I've pastored that. Um, our, our suffering as believers doesn't belong to us. Um, our, our suffering is meant for the edification of the body. And when I get to walk with brothers and sisters 
in my congregation through really hard valleys, I realized that the Lord not only has good in his designs for them, but he has good in his designs for the congregation and maybe even for unbelievers who are going to become believers through the suffering of those saints. And so it really is a privilege to watch the Lord work and watch the Lord's people believe and hang on when all they've got is hope and all the lights have gone out. I mean, that's an enormous privilege to watch that. I mean, I'm struck over and over again by the thought that I'm on holy ground when I'm with a saint who's suffering. And um, I mean, I have so many heroes that the world doesn't know about uh, because I've been able to be the one there watching them believe when there was nothing else to hang on to in life. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm struck by your emphasis on that our suffering is not our own and that God has purposes for the broader community, the Christian community, in the midst of our suffering and through our suffering. And yet, it seems to me that in my own experience, but certainly in seeing others suffer, that one of the hardest parts can actually be those feelings of isolation and loneliness, uh, a sense that no one else is with them in that, that no one understands uh, what you're going through. And I just wonder, as a pastor and as a friend, how have you helped people to work through that, those feelings, uh, when they're in the midst of suffering? Well, I mean, one as a pastor is to quickly admit when you don't know uh, what a person is going through. I think sometimes because we want to be sympathetic and empathetic and, and we want to emphasize how much we love and care for a person, we're, we, we're tempted to, to try and say, you know, I know how you feel. But so often they are facing circumstances for which you have no parallel in your experience. And so I, I think actually admitting up front, you know, to, to a brother or a sister, I, I wish I knew what you were going through right now, but I've never gone through this myself. But I will say this, the Lord has been kind to give me other people in the congregation who have gone through similar things. So for instance, early in my ministry, Matt, um, I lost count of the number of suicide funerals that I had to preach. And I, I lost count of them. Just take that in. Um, and some of these included uh, children of believers in the church who had taken their own lives. Um, just the most gut-wrenching kinds of circumstances that you can imagine. And I soon found out that Christians who had experienced that in, in their family life were amazing resources to other Christians who were experiencing things like that in their family life. And so, you know, there, I, 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 again, I, I, so many times I've been able to say, I don't know what you feel like, but I do know brothers and sisters in this congregation who do know what you feel like. And they've walked this road before and they, and all of them had said to me, Ligon, when you need to call on me to, to help minister to somebody who's going through this, you call on me anytime, day and night. And boy, it was amazing to watch them 
minister to one another. And boy, what a powerful testimony about how the body cares for one another. The pastor has no idea what you're going through experientially, but there are other sheep in the flock who understand and they're ministering to you in that midst. So a lot of times I would say, I don't know how you feel, but you know what? You've got brothers and sisters in this congregation who have gone through the exact same thing and they're ready to walk with you in it. Yeah. Why do you think it is that we just as humans, I think all of us can resonate with those feelings of when we learn that someone else has struggled in a, in a similar way, um, yeah, it can just open up a level of relationship and a level of comfort that that really doesn't come from anywhere else. Why do you think it is that that that's the case? Why are we wired that way as as individual humans? Well, I mean, I, yeah, you you just said it. I think that sometimes suffering is so intense that that it 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 breeds a feeling of isolation, and you really do feel like nobody understands what I'm going through right now. I'm all alone in this. And then suddenly when you find out, you know what, I'm not alone in this. And somebody reaches out to you who can, you you don't have to explain what you're feeling because they already know what you're feeling. The power of that is palpable for for Christians that are going through it. And it built a, a bond comes out of that. And now, look, I, I think pastors can have that kind of bond, even with people that are going through things that the pastor doesn't understand. I, here's an example. I, I had a, one of my dearest friends on earth is a ruling elder whose son took his own life. And it was, it was my privilege to hold that man in my arms when I had to tell him that his son was dead. And we will be close until we take our last breath. You know, we can we can go two years without seeing one another and then we'll see one another and we're close and we always will be because we've gone through something together. So I do I do think that even when it's people that don't fully understand what you're going through, the fact that they go through that they fight through the fight with you can make it close. But man, when there are other people who have been through the same thing and they're there for you in that circumstance. It just, you know, it's almost like you can talk to one another with your eyes without it, without your mouth even moving, you know, because you, you know, in your heart, you know, in your gut, what you feel like, what you're going through and what you need. And um, I, I loved to see, you know, as hard as those circumstances were, I love to see that kind of ministry from one part of the body to the other. Yeah. Well, I think another another thing that we often experience in profound suffering is that not only do we feel isolated from other people, but sometimes we can even feel isolated and distant from God and to such an extent maybe that even God seems seems like he's pulled away from us and he's become silent even in the midst of our cries to him. And I, I wonder, you mentioned that other people in your life and ministry have suffered much more than you have. But even with that, have you ever personally struggled with a season of feeling like God God had kind of become distant from you and had sort of maybe even abandoned you? Has that ever been a struggle for you? Yes, but it's always been my fault. Um, you know, and that and that's the, that's one difference um, in in the oftentimes people in extreme or intense periods of suffering experience that in a sense 
by no fault of their own. In other words, it's it's the intensity of the suffering that can breed a despair. You know, whereas when I realize so oftentimes when I feel distant or when I feel like, you know, God's not hearing me, it's because of my own soul having, I've wandered from God. You know, it's it's not because I've been under, um, you know, some in, intense suffering that has caused that. I also think that that there can be less intense suffering over a duration of time that can create the same kind of feeling of despair. So for instance, if you've got someone in the congregation with a chronic pain problem, um, that can breed despair, even though the suffering doesn't have the same intensity as say a woman whose 18 month old child has just died in her arms, you know, um, you know, a, a, a chronic neurological pain disorder or something like that over it just can wear somebody down and to the point that they they think you know job like you know god do you even know that i'm here anymore um so i that that's how i would describe that mm. and and you'd say it's not necessarily uh, because of sin or a lack of faith that people might struggle with those feelings in the midst of profound suffering Right. And now look, every circumstance can spawn faith battles. You know, that's exactly what happened with Job. I I just had, we're doing a, my church is doing a a one year through the Bible uh, uh, program uh, or through the Bible in one year program right now. And we're doing a chronological, chronological reading of the Bible. So one of the things I was reading in January was Job. And uh, it struck me that one of the interesting things about the the Job's friends is that they say a lot of things that are true that are utterly irrelevant to Job's situation. And, you know, a lot of Job's feelings are directly derived from the intensity of the suffering that he is experiencing. Now, that raises faith challenges for him. But it, his, his suffering wasn't caused by some faith failure on his part. So I, I think we have to remember that when we see believers in suffering struggling with faith struggles, that those faith struggles may have actually been prompted by something that was unbidden in their own experience, which is God's providentially sending them hard things. Hmm. Yeah, I wanted to, to return to that idea too. In, in Psalm 88.6, the psalmist writes, you, speaking of God, have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. And I think verses like that and, and comments even like what you just said can sometimes cause us to wonder about God's role in relation to our suffering. And what would you say to that? Oh, that's huge. And, and that is, boy, that Psalm 88 is so Job-like there. You know, a lot, a lot of times um, people will address hard sufferings by asking the question, why would God allow this? And that puts God in almost a passive relationship to the suffering that you're going through. And And look, sometimes people do that because the suffering is so unspeakably grievous that they they want they want God not to be 
you know, accountable or chargeable or, or responsible for that. And so they try and distance God from what they're going through. But Job never asked the question, uh, Lord God, are you involved in what I'm going through? He, he, he speaks just like Psalm 88 does. And that is, Lord, you've done this. You know, I, I know that you're in charge of everything. His question is, why are you doing this, Lord? You know, what, 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 what is this for? What does this mean? What am, I, what am I supposed to do with this? There's no, did you do this or not? Or are you involved? He knows that God is sovereignly and providentially controlled. The, the question is, what does this mean and how am I supposed to respond? And so I, I tell people that as hard as a situation of suffering is, I want God right down in the middle of that. Because very often that experience of suffering may be the most significant life-shaping experience of your human history. And, and do you want to try and push God out of that? Or do you want God to be right in the middle of that? And the Bible just makes it clear God's right in the middle of that. And what, what that does is it assures us that there is no such thing for the believer as meaningless suffering. Um, that God always has a good purpose, no matter what. And God's always in control, no matter what. And that is a source of hope. I mean, even the psalmist saying that in Psalm 88, which is so dark, um, is, is there's a glimmer of hope in there, even as he sort of remonstrates with God. You know, Lord, you put me here. But yeah, that's the hope. Yeah, he put you there. Um, and uh, which means this world is not, you're, you're not... Um, you know, you're not the victim of the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. This isn't luck. This isn't blind fate. There is a personal, loving, good, infinitely wise, infinitely powerful God who is up to something in this. And I may not understand it, and I may not like it, and it may be the most horrible experience that I've ever felt, but there's still meaning in it. And and I know, and I still believe Romans eight twenty eight that you know all God is working all things for good for me. So that that you put me here, even though that's that's probably sort of a, a remonstrating with God at that point in Psalm eighty eight. The hope in that is, yep, God put you here. As you as you think about that truth, that foundational and, and rock solid truth that we can hope in in the midst of suffering. But especially as a pastor and as a friend, how do you how do you balance emphasizing that truth with um, the other side of the equation? Is when somebody's in the midst of profound suffering, um, sometimes reminding people of things like that. Romans eight is kind of the classic example. Can can feel trite, and it can feel like it's belittling the the actual profound suffering that they're experiencing. And uh, how do you how do you keep those things uh, in in balance? Well, I mean, first, thank you for that question, and everybody needs to hear that question loud and clear. And I, I, here's my policy: Un, until I am very confident that uh, that that I have a relationship with someone where I know that they will receive that as an encouragement not 
as some sort of a trite imperative, but as a profound encouragement from someone who aches with them, I don't deploy that you know, that, that word of, of encouragement. I, I, I've got to have the relationship. I've got to have the right to say that. And, and there are all sorts of ways that you know whether you have that right or not. And, I, and so I do think Christians need to be very careful about glibly employing, um, because what, what happens is if you glibly employ that kind of encouragement, it robs it of its profundity. And it is profoundly true, but there are there even godly people can be at places um, in their life where they're not re- they're not ready to receive that encouragement, and so you've got to really read the the situation carefully. And um, and Christians are at different stages of maturity, um, and and so you've got to know what salve from the scripture to apply at what time to what person. And some of that is not only determined by their spiritual maturity, but it's also determined by your relationship with them and the level of trust and confidence and, and openness that they have with you. I, I, um, I, a number of years ago, I sat in a pediatric intensive care unit with a with a young mother whose infant was dying in her arms. And she asked me after the boy died to sing the doxology. Well, I never would have said to her, let's sing the doxology. But when she said to me, let's sing the doxology, I was, I was ready to jump in and, and do that because it said to me something about her confidence in the goodness and providence of God. And that opens up the door for a kind of conversation that I might not be able to have with everybody in that kind of circumstance, even other mature Christians. What advice would you offer to someone who is suffering when it comes to guarding their heart against bitterness? Because I think we've all, we all recognize that um, it does often take time and we have to be patient as we uh, persevere through suffering, but at some point that that could turn into a bitterness against God and anger against God. And so, what advice do you offer to, to people who are in the midst of that to guard their hearts from that? Well, I think one thing is to say, bring your pain to God. He wants it, and He can take it. I'm I'm struck again when you look at Psalms like Psalm 88 and Psalm 89, and we could frankly look at dozens of others. It is amazing to me that God in his inspired word has the psalmist set down their deepest disappointments and trials and fears and anxieties and worries and troubles and sufferings. And he says, now come into the assembly of the saints and sing those things to me. Sing to me about your pain. Sing to me about your confusion. Sing to me about your hopelessness. Sing to me about your fears. Sing to me about how you feel like I'm distant from you. Sing it to me. And it's it's just the Lord saying to you, I love you. I made you. 
I understand what you're like. I know what you need. And I can take it. I can hear that. You can bring that to me. And I'll receive it and I'll minister to you. And it's so kind that God does that to does that for us in the Psalms. So one thing I say is, brothers and sisters, just go to the Psalms. Because he's giving you, when you don't know what to say to him, he's giving you the words to say to him. And he's telling you that he wants to hear those words from you. And that he's not afraid or offended by hearing those words from you. And that he's ready to minister to you when you feel like that. And then he's reminding you that you're not alone. <laughs> there have been saints in all ages that feel the same way. So I, I just, one thing is thank God that he's given us the Psalms. Hmm. Well, and one of the things that's most striking about Psalm 88 in particular and it's kind of makes it different than most other passages in Scripture that that do speak to suffering, is that it's pretty much exclusively dark. It, it really doesn't contain any expressions of hope and salvation. And I wonder, like, what do you make of that, and and why do you think that's um, the case? Well, I mean, I I think isn't it kind that the Lord would give us some psalms like that? Psalm eighty-eight isn't entirely unique, but I really I really view it as the lowest, darkest point in the Psalter. It's got companions in the Psalter, but it, it you know <laughs> they're certainly not any darker than that. And I think that that it it reminds us that sometimes really godly, really mature believers can be in places where all the lights have gone out and and all their earthly hopes have been extinguished and there's not uh you know some sort of a glib happy ending right around the corner um and and that's really important because when 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 you know a number of years ago a friend of mine wrote an article called what can miserable christians sing and he was, he was just making the observation that almost all of modern Christian worship music is happy. And that there are very few uh, lyrical materials being created for people who are facing misery and trial and pain and suffering. And so that, that really struck home to me. And I, I realized we need to be singing a range of material that's thoroughly rich and biblical that can give expression to different experiences because not everybody is coming to church happy. Uh, there, there are people that are coming to church with their hearts breaking. And I, I actually, there were, there were hymns where I would look out into the eyes of my congregation to see how they sang certain hymns. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty has this line that goes, how oft in grief hath not he brought thee relief spreading his wings to or shade thee. And I would look at, I, I, I would look at people to see how they sang that. And, I, and there were many times I thought, okay, there's, I need to follow up on that person just from their face when they, when, uh, when, when they sang that, that, that line. So I think Psalm 88 functions in the same way. It, it lets saints that are in the pit of despair realize, hey, God knows that people like me exist. He put, he put these circumstances in the Psalms and they're here for me. So uh, I, it's not just the hallelujahs at the end of the Psalter that are appropriate for the worship of God. God knows that there are people like me that, that need to have something to bring into his presence. So I, I, that, that's one way that I approach that. 
Mm. Yeah, what do you think our preference for positive, happy worship songs says about our view of the Christian life or our theology? Well, a lot. Don't you think a lot of it is in in North America in particular? Um, we have not faced um, in the last hundred years the same kind of deep suffering that other believers around the world regularly face. You know, I, and, until five years ago, I did not know a Christian friend who had been in prison for the sake of Christ. And, um, and, 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 and now I have one, um, and he's an Indonesian, uh, you know, so it's, it's, and, and that, that sort of experience is the norm for Christians outside of our culture still. And uh, so I, I think, I think somewhat the very context that we're in has, um, has made experiences of suffering in the Christian life a little more distant for North American believers than they would be for believers in other cultures. Mm. Do you think it's important for us to to seek out and pursue those kinds of relationships to to have a, a deeper sense for the suffering of other Christians? Is that is that a important goal? Oh. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know, that my, my international friendships have profoundly enriched me in, in that regard. I'm, I'm on every inhabited continent about once every 18 months because of my job now. And, and, and it it has no, no doubt the friendships that I've been able to cultivate in other cultures where suffering is just such a norm of the Christian life has, has changed me. For instance, I have, a, I'm, I'm thinking right now of a pastor friend of mine who literally has his bag for prison packed and at the front door at all time. Wow. Because he, he knows that at any moment his government is going to come and arrest him. And it's not a matter of if, but when, and he is, he's just downright matter of fact about it. Now there are very few pastors in the United States um, that, that know anything like that. So one of the other things that I'm struck by as I read through Psalm 88 is just the strong language that, that the psalmist uses throughout. And, and oftentimes that language is related to death and how close to death that he feels. Uh, just a couple examples. Uh, he says his life draws near to Sheol. He says that he's going down into the pit and that there's, he's like one set loose among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave. And, and there's other examples throughout that psalm. And I wonder uh, what you make of that. I think that kind of language is language that today we often would recognize or associate with, you know, severe depression or even suicidal thoughts. And so I, I just wonder, could that have been a factor here in this psalm? Or how do you think about that in light of um, what Scripture says? Well, the most important thing that we need in suffering is faith, a sense of God's love and good purposes for us, and hope. And so cultivating those things in the Christian life with the means of grace, and we, we, we always ought to be preparing to suffer uh, the uh, Admiral Duncan, who I don't think was any relation to my family, was a famous uh, 
British admiral in the days of the, the, the Napoleonic Wars and his family crest featured the Latin phrase, disque pati, learn to suffer. And, and that's actually a pretty good motto for the Christian life that you, you always are, you're preparing for what your great challenges are. And I, I often tell people who have entered into a season of suffering that are believers, well, now you know at least one of the things that the Lord was preparing you for through the means of grace in the rest of your life. But I think for the rest of us, we we always have to, you know, Lord, I know things are going to come that are challenges to my faith. So use the means of grace in my life right now so that I'm prepared to suffer when the time comes. Because normally what happens is we go into autopilot. Uh, when when those when, when trauma hits, the, the normal process is shut down. And only the things that are deeply ingrained into the very essence of who we are survive those moments of trauma. And you just want those things worked down into your bones before it, before it comes. Well, Legan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and for, I think, helping us think a little bit differently about suffering and encouraging us to run to God's Word and the Psalms in particular for help and encouragement. It's been my joy and privilege, Matt, and I hope this is a help to someone. That was Ligon Duncan on drawing near to God in the midst of our suffering. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, When Pain is Real and God Seems Silent, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.